many people have done these mindfulness courses, which is great, but from a Buddhist content, from a Buddhist sense of what that word is, it's right mindfulness. So if I was really mindful of robbing a bank, that would be michan, as opposed to sama, so it would be wrong mindfulness. But, so mindfulness is always in the context of the five precepts. That's always very, very important. Um, okay, so there's that. Janice, is that the sound okay? Yeah. Yep. Um, so we have... Can you speak up? <laughs> I, can, I can turn it on. I'll turn it on. I'm getting old. <laughs> Janice, I'm always as old as you. <laughs> <coughs> oh, he can do volume. There you go. Yeah. We have an echo. Um, my voice isn't so strong anymore. So there you go. Okay. Um, so you, we have this morning and this afternoon, um, two, two, three hours together in the morning, afternoon. Um, these times of, of, of long stretches of what we call formal meditation practice are, are very important because they, they establish um, strong mindfulness and strong awareness. And, and uh, to work on being more mindful in the ordinariness of life, you need to create times of, of quiet where you're dedicating your attention to the present moment rather than just dealing with the present moment. So these are very important parts of Buddhist practice, retreats. Um, so in the monastery we just finished a three-month retreat where we, we put away all our, our, uh, our work projects and uh, our teaching engagements and had very few visitors and we spent three months doing mindfulness practice or awareness or samadhi or whatever you want. And that's the sort of um, uh, gift of being a monk, but it's also the work of being a monk. It's very, very important. So if when you have a chance to take a morning like this or the afternoon, then consider it not so much as trying to um, gain some kind of result in, in experientially, like that you really become peaceful or you're, you're very compassionate or whatever. I mean, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But make it more like, I can be aware now of whatever I feel. Right? So that you're strengthening awareness rather than a particular kind of experience within awareness. You can always strengthen awareness. Right? You can't necessarily have a beautiful experience or a loving experience or, or whatever. Sometimes you get. So, so as I was saying, you could come into this room and feel negative about the iconography, but you could be aware of that. And if you didn't understand Buddhism, and you didn't understand the whole the point of Buddhism is to awaken to the way things are, then you could feel it was a bad experience. I had a bad experience because I reacted negatively to the, um, to the iconography, and I didn't like the teacher. <laughs> right? But if you're understanding our practice, then you can, oh yeah, okay, I don't like what the guy's saying, and why am I here anyway? <laughs> and you leave. But, but you like, I've, I've sat through a lot of, of teachings where I didn't like the teacher, I guarantee it, you know. And, uh, and actually, it's been, as we say, the cliche is good practice. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting there and, and some monk is droning on. That was my perception. Other people didn't perceive it that way. Droning on and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the clock. Now, if 
my idea of meditation is just some kind of blissed out experience, then that's a bummer. But if I understand that what we're doing is we're strengthening the capacity to be aware of the way things are and not get entangled in them, and not just be reactive to them, then it's all good, you know, it's, unless it's immoral or something's really, really bad. So, so keep that in mind. So that if, you, if, if, if some kind of negative impulse comes up, then it's not a problem. It just is a negative impulse. And then it just doesn't tend to linger and get stuck in consciousness. But if you take a position that only positive and, and uplifting kind of meditative qualities are, are useful, and then a negative comes up, you're stuck. You're stuck in a kind of duality of struggle. Right? So it's very, very important to see that awareness is not an experience. You know, the awareness of, 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 of cold and the awareness of hot. Cold and hot change, but awareness is not, it's not a quality of experience. It's the knowing of experience. And that's so central to freedom, so central to freedom, because experience itself is contingent. It depends on your health, on your temperature, on your age, on so many, many other factors. And it's always process. So Buddhism, you know, if, if Buddhism was anything, it's a verb, not a noun. Huh? Like, like I, I and conventionally, the language I might use is, I, I'm cold. But actually, the experience is colding. There is colding. There is awareness of colding. And you try to find an I in that. Can like, and that's a question I, I put last night in the in the talk. So there is, there is maybe memory, right? There is memorying the activity of thought. There's awareness, but is there an extra guy called Viridhamma, remembering, or is there awareness and memory? And this is what you investigate, because if you really look carefully. You really look carefully. So let's say if I feel, like if I feel cold, that's a that's a noun. I am cold. A couple of nouns. But what's actually going on is process, and that process is contingent. Depends on the temperature in the room and having a body and so on. There's awareness, and then if I put the question, is there a me feeling awareness? This is a feeling cold. Certainly feeling of cold. Yeah. Or did they just take that sound? Okay, there is, you could say, I could say, that is a disturbing sound. That would be a negative response to it. Or, if you like heat, that is a delightful sound. <laughs> Depends. But whatever way I do that, if I just listen, and do this with me now, if I listen, there's sound, yeah, there's knowing, and is there an extra bit called me knowing? And you look, look very, observe very carefully. I can't find an extra bit. And when you, and that extra bit is thought and belief and habit and so on. Now, if you don't take that whole structure of belief and you just look at the way things are, very very immediately, then I would suggest that takes you to silence. That is, silence is, and this is what we mean by emptiness. And this word emptiness is a very difficult word in Buddhism, and it sounds like there's nothing, but that's not what it's pointing to. It's just empty of this sense of a me making something, a me doing something. It's the silence of knowing. So again, with sound, if you listen, there's a process, right? You can't say sound is a thing, it's 
changing. But there's also the knowing. Is there a separate bit called a me? I can't find it. If you find it, it's probably a thought. Well, well, I am aware. That's just a thought. There is awareness, and there is process. And this is what we're trying to recollect, remember, come to, awakening in Buddhist meditation practice. Right? That's not so complicated. Uh, why is it so difficult to do? <laughs> you know, why can't, like, like, I think we all pick this up pretty quick, unless you think a lot. So if you're really into analysis, then you, you just kind of think your way out of this one. But then that's just thought. You don't, if you don't go to thought and analysis and, and opinion and judgment, you have suchness. And emptiness of this sense of me making, my making. So how can we, if that makes sense to you, and if you can sense that, that silence, how might we approach that? Well, we, if our lives are more simple, that's helpful a lot. If we live morally, that's helpful a lot. And then obviously if we, if we practice some kind of presencing, presencing, so that we, present, we, we make ourselves present or we practice awareness. Now awareness is a noun again, right? So, this for linguistic people, when I say awareing, um, but how do you how do you make that a kind of like a, a, a dynamic thing rather than a I like mindfulness is a noun too, but like the whole process of life is is this kind of movement, and yet within it there's the stillness. This is this, this is the beauty of human consciousness, this stillness that we don't notice because we are caught up in the processes, reacting, and we have to. You, know, you have to cook your meal, drive the car, and we were talking Dharma with uh, Gamini, and we ended up going to the airport. Whoops. <laughs> so you, you, know, you still have to live your life. <laughs> you can't, can't take the right directions. So this, this silence is something that you, you tend to notice more in meditative situations, and then you try to apply it when it's appropriate to ordinary life situations. So I would, so then my suggestion is, does your meditation um, encourage that sense of awakening? Or is your meditation trying to get rid of something or become something? If your meditation is trying to get something, an experience you had before, uh, a state of mind which you read about, jhana, uh, sotapatti, all these different words we have, then that whole sense of becoming me here in time is still a sense of self, and that won't work. But in other words, the awakening, you don't, you don't kind of try to get it, you just know it. And it's always available. It's not like you, you, you get hot or cold, or you have a sandwich, or you lay down, or whatever. It's not, not that. It's just, oh yeah, it's kind of remembering more. So does your, I would say, does your meditation awaken you? Right? That would be, for me, a very important question. And does your meditation then help you to sustain the awake mind? Uh, okay, so what, if that makes sense, it doesn't, then you know, give me a note. Um, <laughs> but, but if that makes sense, then okay, what kind of meditation do you do? Well, it 
depends. It kind of depends where you're at right now, doesn't it? What you've experienced, where your head's at, and, and uh, the experiences you've had. So as I was saying last night, meditations can be very complex, or meditations can be very simple. The, the, te- the technologies of meditation that we have, or the techniques of meditation that we have, are very simple. So, complex. If you, if you turn to like the Visuddhimagga in, in Buddhist commentary, has very complex meditations. So the one I was suggesting yesterday is the one that um, you find in Sharon Salzberg's book on loving kindness. A very, very good book on, on metta meditation. And there she takes the classic, she has Burmese teacher, and they use the Abhidhamma law. They have a very classic, um, structured set of thoughts uh, that are repeated with a certain emotional tone and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. So the complexity of the patterning requires you to be present. So the, and as I was saying last night, the, the, the phraseol, phraseology, is that it? The, the, the words are, um, may, may I be free from danger? May I be free from physical suffering? May I be free from me- mental suffering? May I abide in well-being? There's four phrases. Simple enough, but you know, just repeat them now. Um, to me, I can. Uh, so you have to memorize them, right? A little bit of work, but I think we, we have the intelligence for it. <laughs> but that little bit of work then creates a structure which, if you are very, if you have a very, very busy mind, hmm, uh, that if you get like halfway through, was it physical or was it mental that I was at? You've lost the plot. It forces you back to do those four phrases. That doesn't force you, but it encourages you. So you do those four phrases. You do those four phrases. You do those, and all of a sudden you've got something that you can latch onto to bring yourself into the present moment. So your mind may be really busy with something, and then you say, "Oh yeah, yeah, but may I be free from danger? May I be free from physical suffering? May I be free from mental suffering? May I abide in well-being?" May I be free from danger? And if you do it carefully, not just kind of, because you can do this and then think about your shopping list too. <laughs> but you kind of do it carefully. May I be free from danger? And you keep doing it and you keep doing it. You've got a method uh, of using language to replace the, 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 the busyness of, of, a, of a worried mind maybe with something which is calming. So you're using thought and, and the analogy the Buddha gives is like you have a you have a, a peg in, in, a, in a piece of, of um, wooden construction and use a smaller peg to knock out a bigger peg. That's the sort of idea of it. So use thought to calm the thinking mind. So that's complex. But you can make it more complex. So then you can include uh, what they call a benefactor. So I, I, I usually use Ajahn Sumedho. When my mum was alive, I used mum. I don't use when she's died. Um, so I'll say Ajahn Sumedho, or Long Paul, as I know him, Long Paul. Maybe free from danger. Long Paul. And say it the whole thing. Long Paul. Maybe free from physical suffering. Long Paul. Maybe free from mental suffering. Long Paul. And each time I say Long Paul, I get a beautiful feeling in my heart. Because I, I love the man so much, and he's been so good to me. So the saying of the word now, saying of the word, begins to emote something 
which is very skillful and very wholesome. I say the word, on Paul, may you abide in well-being. And I do it again. On Paul, may you be free from danger. Now, the, the temptation is, on Paul, yeah, maybe you be, may you be okay. <laughs> and, and to skip the language. No, 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 you, you stick with the program. All right? On Paul, may you be free from danger. So keep saying it, keep saying it. And then the heart starts to feel really, really quite open. And to make it more complex, right? So bring in a friend. So I might say, Kuslo, Ajahn Kuslo, it's a good friend. Ajahn Kuslo, may you be free from danger. You say the whole thing, Ajahn Kuslo, you use Ajahn Kuslo, Ajahn Kuslo, may you be free from physical suffering, Ajahn Kuslo. So each statement you say, Ajahn Kuslo, ah. And then I evoke that and I, and I strengthen that, right? And may you abide in well-being, right? To make it more complex, bring in what they call a neutral person. So when I was doing this, in, we were doing a, re- a city retreat in Northumberland many, 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 many years ago. Many years ago. <laughs> Maybe 40 years ago, okay. And I was doing a retreat in someone's home, and in the morning we'd go out and do walking meditation on the street. Freaked everyone out, of course, because the people thought we were sort of catatonic schizophrenics or something going back and forth. <laughs> and I was doing the postie for the neutral person, the post person. We call them posties in Australia. And so I was the postie. May you be free from danger. I didn't know who it was. I just thought there's a postal person. May you be free from physical suffering, postie. And I'm doing walking meditation on the street, and there's the post person. Mm. I wanted to hug them. <laughs> I would have got arrested. <laughs> but the, the, the feeling in the heart was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And even, I didn't even know the person. But all the time, what am I doing? I'm, I'm evoking something that's very, very skillful. And then the fifth uh, person that's in this classical definition of what we call metta-bhavana, you take the difficult person. You take someone who you, you, you tend to be argumentative with, or someone who it's doable. Right? Like if, if, you, you know, if you got traumatized and you got PTSD or something like that, you don't want to just traumatize yourself. You don't want to do that. But usually we've got someone who gets up our nose, right? <laughs> we find irritable, so you know you do that. So yeah, uh, so, mm, what do you say, um, Milosevic or something like that, right? <laughs> Milosevic, may you be free. No way. I'm not giving him anything. And oh, that's aversion. Yeah, no, you're not. Yeah, oh no, Milosevic, may you be free from danger. No way. And you see the aversion that you have towards a person, you see. And then they see a contrast, yeah. Here's the heart closing. Doesn't want to open to that, doesn't want to forgive, okay. Oh, that's what that feels. So then you can't do it. You just, okay, and, you do, and then you just play around, Milosevic, And you feel, oh, this is, and then, may I be free from danger? May I be free from physical suffering? May I be free from mental suffering? May I abide in home? You go back to yourself again, right? And then Milosevic, all right, may you be free from danger. <laughs> no, no, may I be free from, you know, and you go back to yourself. So you, what you're doing is you're, you're constantly going to the heart, stimulating the heart, huh? and then trying to go into areas where the heart closes. You know, that's very complex, it's very complex, but it's deliberate. It's not a complexity which requires analysis. It doesn't take up a lot of bandwidth, actually. You can be very aware of the heart. 
And if you do that a lot, then you've got this lovely pattern which you can always turn to. And if you want, you can read about it, you can make it even more complex. So uh, the, the classical ways, I think there's like 52 variants on this or something like that. There's like groups, they have seven groups, and then direction, ten directions. So do the math, it's a lot. Now, why do that? Well, that's to really go to deep states of samadhi. That's the idea of it. It's so complex. And the Tibetans do this too. They'll take a, a visualization of a, of a mandala, and a mantra, and they'll use very, very complex things. But I think for our purposes today, what I'll, what I'll just kind of suggest we, we start with that, um, a complex one, yeah, and see how that works. So stretch your legs a bit, and let's, let's try that. Janice, the sounds, this is good? Okay. Yeah. So first, the awakened mind. Let's start with just the body, the feelings in the body. So just sitting here, the temperature of the room, feeling of your body on a cushion or a chair. So move away from thought into bodily sensation. And let that become conscious. Now you're waiting and noticing. Now you're not looking for something, but you're aware of what is. It's like this. and feel the breathing of the body. So there's no rush to get anywhere or to achieve anything. And notice the kind of process of existence, the process of the body changing, breathing, feeling, and there's the knowing, the awake mind. Feel the center of the chest. Breathing in at the center of the chest, may I be well. And breathing out, may all beings be well.
and then bringing up the matric forms with thought. If you can be aware at the center of the chest, that's kind of helpful. So, may I be free from danger? May I be free from physical suffering? May I be free from mental suffering? May I abide in well-being? May I be free from danger? May I be free from physical suffering? May I be free from mental suffering? May I abide in well-being? So let's do that for a while. So we're not trying to rush through to get these words out because we're not really going anywhere. So the words themselves, having to kind of say them carefully and then hopefully the attitude and tension behind them become a, a method for calming the mind. Just laying out the words, word by word. And you notice pretty quick your mind 
starts to try to pick up other themes, memories and um, plans, things like that. And then you notice that. You're not trying to get rid of all that, but you're saying you're just not going there. So you just pick up the mantra and you keep doing it kind of carefully. So it's a calming activity, a presence. So those four phrases, so pick up the idea of a benefactor or someone who has cared for you, cares for you, helps you. So if I were to take my teacher, Lumpal, Lumpal Sumedho, Lumpal, may you be free from danger. Lumpal, may you be free from physical suffering. Lumpal, may you be free from mental suffering. Paul, may you abide in well-being. So that that can really evoke the feeling in the heart. And then the words keep calming the mind. So pick that up and add to the pattern and do that for a while.
So now combine those two together to make eight. So begin with yourself. May I be free from danger. May I be free from physical suffering. May I be free from mental suffering. May I abide in well-being. Om Paul, may you be free from danger. Om Paul, may you be free from physical suffering. Om Paul, may you be free from mental suffering. Om Paul, may you abide in well-being. May I be free from danger, and so on. So, you make the mantra twice as long, and that requires more attention. So let's try that. So add another person, your friend, 
name the friend. So if I were to use Ajahn Kuslo, Ajahn Kuslo, may you be free from danger. Ajahn Kuslo, may you be free from physical suffering. Ajahn Kuslo, may you be free from mental suffering. Ajahn Kuslo, may you abide in well-being. Each time I say that, some feeling in the heart, do that for a while with a friend and then add up the three so then you have twelve
adding yet another person, a neutral person. It might be a shopkeeper or someone, a car mechanic or someone who you don't know particularly well. Give them a name. Go through the pattern. And then build it up to four people. So you have yourself, the telephone, <laughs> these kinds of practices are very complex and you can think, oh, this is a waste of time, but you, you have to do them to see what, how that works. <coughs> and where it really works is if in each statement you can bring forth sincerity. If you can bring forth that person, so if I say, Lord Paul, may you be free from mental suffering. If I say that with sincerity, then the effect is it's quite nice to do. If I'm just trying to get through the lines, then it's just like homework. So the attitude of the heart is like terribly important. So bring a neutral person into this. Bear with it. Stay with it and see what happens.
So the final in this five, considering five people, is the difficult person. So bring up a difficult person if you want. If you don't want to go there, that's fine. Name the person and just feel what that evokes. And then difficult person, may you be free from danger. Difficult person, may you be free from physical suffering. Difficult person, may you be free from mental suffering. Difficult person, may you abide in well-being. Again, these are not forced to do this, but it's a very interesting thing to do. And then try to combine the whole five, and that's the whole meditation.
So, this kind of more complex meditation takes time to see if it works. So you, you, you run into basically like, this is, I don't want to think so much, or things like that, but it's, it's a common kind of way in Buddhism that you find meditation being taught. The, uh, there's the, the meditation on the 32 parts of the body, which is similar, you take five, five parts of the body and then you add another five and you do a kind of anatomy through your body as you're focused. Um, but anyway, just to put that out there, you can try it. Um, simpler meditations are, it's like this. Bus. <laughs> and that's it. And then Chao was asked, how do you meditate? He says, well, I'm like a tree. Birds come and sit in the tree. Does the tree know itself? Huh? So you have much, much simpler meditations, but the challenge is to not, not just kind of think you're meditating, but actually you're just kind of zoning out, I suppose, something like that. So there needs to be some focus. Um, so try this if you find it helpful. Let's take a break. And do some walking. If you if you if your body's good for more sitting, please do sit. But we take a break for. So we go yeah till ten thirty. So do some walking meditation. So walking meditation basically is you try to find a space of a few paces. You can go outside and freeze if you want. Um, In walking meditation, what you're using is, again, you're, you always come back to the, the basic instruction is the awakened mind. That's what you're always doing. And you're figuring out how can I stay awake for 10 paces or whatever. So in, in walking meditation, you're not trying to control the mind, but you're using the body as a way of knowing the present. And then you're moving from A to B, B to A, A to B, B to A. So you try to find a space in the dining room or in this hall or back here or outside if you want, if you have good clothing. I don't don't have a coat, so I'd freeze to death. Uh, And pick the ends of the path. And the ends of the path are, are, are places where you break up the thinking mind. So if your mind is just proliferating or whatever, by the time you get to the end of the path, at least at that point when you turn around, tends to kind of awaken you. And then just keep establishing it, you know, this awareness, it's like this. I feel like this. And then use sound a lot. I find sound is very, very helpful. Just listen to sound. And then, is there a listener? Learn how to come to that deep silence (coughs) of emptiness, we call emptiness of self, an emptiness of content. And then do the walking back and forth, back and forth. If you want to keep to this kind of mantric form, you can. Or just like these five patterns, just use one, two, three, four, five, whatever. You can play around with that, okay? So we will, do we have a bell ringer for 10.30? Jane, you got it. So we'll come back at 10.30, okay?
Please go ahead.